Hello and welcome to Jetavanaran Buddhist Monastery. Well, by now you're all regulars here, and it's great to have you all join in these talks on a regular basis. I think this is our eighth episode of this new series of Dhamma Talks. And I believe that by now you will all have a good idea as to what it is that we are hoping to achieve by presenting these talks to you. I'll admit the title of these talks, the Buddha's Guide to Happiness, seems like quite a tall order to present to you in a series of talks. Quite simply because people all around the world live confidently that they have discovered and sometimes even mastered the art of happiness. So it may sound suspicious or sometimes even unnecessary that someone comes along and presents another way of achieving happiness. And this is why throughout these talks I have asked that you remain the adjudicator of whatever we talk about in these talks and that at no point would I expect you to believe and blindly accept anything that I say simply because I'm a monk or that you may believe that I must know what I'm talking about. I know for myself that what I'm saying is true and it's true for me and I believe it must be true for you. But for as long as you remain with us and listen to these talks, I will continue to expect the same from you. And that is to remain the adjudicator of whatever you listen, whatever you learn, and to apply that in the lab of life to make sure that although you trust, you verify such that the content of these talks, the words that you hear, and the essence of this becomes true for you. I only share this with you because what I share with you today has helped me achieve personally, on a very personal level, it has helped me achieve an unconditional happiness. And I speak with confidence, and I speak with confidence that as we progress on this path, I believe I'll be able to share that path with you so that not only I but others may benefit from this for many years to come, even when I'm no longer. So before we continue then and take another step on our journey, 
Let us take a moment to pay veneration to the Supreme, the Enlightened Lord Buddha. And it is thanks to him that today we have the Dhamma that has been so masterfully expounded and available to all us sentient beings to understand, comprehend and realize this ultimate truth. Namo thassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo thassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo thassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa A quick recap of what we discussed last week. Last week we continued from where we have left off the previous week and that was our discussion of beauty. Beauty is a word that we use to express an experience of pleasure. When we experience pleasure, particularly through our eyes and through the sights that we see, we use this word beauty. So we say it's a beautiful sunset, it's a beautiful drawing, it's a beautiful dress, a beautiful flower, and so on. And for the simplicity of our discussion, I asked that we use this word beauty not only for sight but also to express the pleasure that we experience when we take in inputs through our other senses. So these are the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, our five sense doors. Now, so far, I hope you're all on board and this is all making perfect sense to you. Nothing I have shared with you so far, I believe, is complicated, convoluted, or difficult to understand. This is all really simple stuff and in very plain and simple English. So, really, even a six or seven year old should be able to understand and grasp the essence of what I have shared with you thus far. My intention is to continue to keep it simple because sometimes the most profound things when expressed in the most simple terms has the best effect on the people who listen to it and who learn it and then who must apply it to reap the benefits of it. So, we took a step forward and tried to understand the makeup of this beauty. What consists beauty? How does beauty come into being? Beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder. We talked about this last week. 
Meaning that beauty is not something that we can expect to find in worldly objects, the objects that we see around us or in the people that we see around us. It is not in the sights or the sounds, the smells or the tastes or the touch that we experience around us, but rather it is our perception of these inputs, these sensory inputs, when and once they reach our mind. So if beauty is our perception of something, then that explains why beauty is subjective rather than objective. Because you see, whatever we come to accept as the truth must stand the test of life. So I can't just give you some new concept and expect you to just take it on board and run with it. What we must do together is to try these new concepts that we learn in the lab of life, in our experiences, in our personal experiences, as we live the world, as we live in the world that we do, and see how much they stand the test. So, we know from our experience that different people have different differing opinions on what beauty is for them. So something that is beautiful for someone is not so beautiful to another. Something that is extremely beautiful, extremely attractive to someone can be quite distasteful to another. And that is true not only for sight, but also for sound, music that we listen to. Some people find classical music quite entertaining, relaxing, soothing and very appealing. Then there will be others who find it quite distasteful. It is just not their cup of tea. Some people really enjoy rock music, heavy metal, whereas others find that an earache quite distasteful. So that's a personal preference, isn't it? We often talk about personal preferences. When we offer someone a cup of tea, we ask them, how do you prefer your tea, sir, madam, my friend? Do you like it with or without sugar? And that's not really a test of whether they've got diabetes. But instead, what we're asking them is, how do you like the taste of your tea? Or how do you like your tea to taste even? Do you like it with sugar or do you like it without sugar? Think about the number of flavors of tea that we have in today's world. The, all the different types of coffee. All the different types of beverages that we have today. And it's not just to give you a caffeine boost. It's also for the purpose of taste. These new beverages are created and invented by specialists. Specialists in taste, food specialists, connoisseurs in coffee and tea and beverages and so on. 
Think about the number of different types of chocolate that we have, or biscuits that we have, or cakes that we have. You name it. Every type of food comes in so many different types of flavors, tastes, smells, and even the way they look. Why does it matter? What color your rice is? But does it not have an effect on, how, on your experience of it? Some people like white rice, others like red rice, others like yellow rice. Sometimes they have the same taste, but one finds one more appealing, more appetizing than the other. What has sight got to do with that? So, you see, this concept of beauty truly seems like something to do with perception. In other words, it seems subjective rather than objective. Sounds, again, subjective rather than objective. Smells. Think about the different types of air fresheners that we have today. There's sandalwood, there's rose, there's jasmine, you name it. Why do we need so many different types of air freshener? Because if there was one air freshener, one smell air freshener that everyone found appealing, then why would you need a second? Why would you need so many different types? Why would, you, why would they need to produce them in so many different fragrances? Fabric softness even? They all come in different smells. But why? See, these are things that we need to think about. Because these things we use to make decisions about our lives, don't we? What you find beautiful, what you find tasty, what you find delicious, what you find smells nice or sounds lovely, don't these things influence your decisions in life? Some decisions are small decisions, but others are big and quite impactful decisions. From what color you want your walls, to who you want to get married to. You wouldn't want to get married to someone you found unattractive, would you? So then, now if you are beginning to understand this concept of beauty, you are presented with an opportunity to reflect on the decisions that you have made up until now in your life. That is all I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to make or change any of the decisions that you have. All I'm asking you to do is to reflect on them. Because remember, what is Buddhism for, after all, Buddhist philosophy? It is to realize. Once you realize, then the remainder is up to you. I'm not here to influence your decisions, but rather I'm just here to show you the facts. 
Once you've understood the facts, then it's totally up to you how you want to live the rest of your life. You can choose to go on living your life as you have lived the last few years or you can make your own choices and make some changes only and only if you feel those changes are necessary. There were some changes that I felt were necessary in my life and of course you can see what some of those changes are. It is obvious. But do we need to make any changes? Well, that depends on what this new insight brings you. What this new realization brings you. Okay, say we understand that beauty is subjective rather than objective. Now, so what? Okay, I understand that, I get it. So what bante? Now that I've understood it, what do I need to do with that information? Ah, well, here's the thing. Last week we talked about manipulation. How you may be manipulated to make decisions about your life based on some of the things that have been fed into your mind, which today perhaps you realize aren't necessarily true. We talked about adverts. And in these advertisement campaigns, the objective is to try and convince you that beauty can be offered to you in the products and services that someone presents to you, that that particular company presents to you. And that is what the campaign is all about, whether it's air freshener or an item of food or it's hair conditioner whatever the case might be. Advertisement campaigns will focus on trying to convince you and therefore to influence your purchasing decisions. And to do so, you will be presented with information that seems true on the outset, but now with, armed with this information, this new information, this new realization, hopefully you're beginning to unravel some of the ways in which you may have been influenced and more so manipulated. Do I have anything against advertisement campaigns? Absolutely not. And long may they continue. I've got nothing against them. So therefore, I have to answer your question. So what is it then that we should do now that we understand this? That beauty is not in the object but rather it is something that the mind perceives and it's different from person to person. So, so what? What next? What is all this for? What is the, old, what is the goal? What is the target? Why do we need to be interested in this? Firstly, I want to make sure, I want to help you make sure that, you, that the decisions you make in your life are the right ones. So, in other words, I want to make you feel empowered about the decisions that you make in your life. I would like for you to make decisions in your life based on the truth rather than someone else's version of the truth. So just because someone comes up to your door and says, Oh, hello, madam. We've got this most wonderful, the best 
the most delicious something that we would like to present to you. And instead of you falling for it, based on what someone has said to you and even indoctrinated you, I'd much prefer for you to be able to make that decision on your own. Give me the facts and I will decide. Wouldn't you rather that you had that choice rather than you being manipulated to make some of those decisions? Because, you see, if you make the wrong decision, then based on a decision, you will then go into action. Because what comes after decision? Well, it is action. So, if you make the wrong decision, then from there on, you will start to take action to get yourself from where you are now to whatever decision you have made and to make that come true for you. But what if that decision is not based on facts? What if that decision is not based on the truth? Now we have a problem. Because you will work hard to achieve that, won't you? If someone, say, comes up to you and talks to you about a painting, Let's say they tell you, this, there's a wonderful painting, it's the most beautiful thing that you will ever see. Let me take you with me and show this to you. And then you accompany them and then they present to you a painting and say, see, this is the most wonderful painting ever. How much is it? You may ask. Oh, it's five million now, let's imagine you actually did have the money to afford this. Well, still, it's not easy money. It's money you've worked hard for. And it's your money. But, you see, based on that manipulation, in other words, someone else's version of the truth, which is technically not the truth, it's simply their perception, it's simply their opinion, you are now influenced and now you will part with your hard-earned cash to buy what someone else found beautiful but you didn't, not until they convinced you. I want to give you something to think about. This is food for thought. Let's take the example that I just shared with you. So say you're in an art gallery and you're taking a walk through the, through the gallery and observing the paintings on the walls and someone comes up to you and interests you in a painting. And they say, well, this is this much money. And so $5 million, would you like to have it? See, the thing is this. When they say that the price of this painting is $5 million, what they're really saying is, for $5 million, I'm willing to let you have it. Because... I find 5 million more appealing than this painting. 
Would you agree with me on that? So what they're saying is, for five million, I'll let you have this. Not for a penny less, but for five million, I'll let you have this. So in other words, what they're really saying is, five million is what I need from you for me to decide, for me to be able to make a decision that I no longer want this, then you can have it. So what does that really mean? It means what you're willing to pay five million for because you think it's worth it. Really, they think it's not worth it. What do I mean by that? Well, you see, you are willing to part with your money for that painting. And they are willing to part with the painting for your money. So they find the money in your pocket more attractive than the painting. To them, that is what they want more than the painting. For you, what you want more is the painting than the money that's in your, in your possession right now. So, what is valuable? Which one of these two things is valuable? Is it the five million or is it the painting? Now we have to ask the question, well, what is value? Is value something that is intrinsic in the object or is it simply a perception? Because if value were in the object, then why would you be willing to part with your money for that painting. If they were the same value for both people, why would they be willing to part with that? I'll give you another example. Let's say you go up to a car salesman. Okay, so a $5 million painting may be a bit far-fetched of an example. Let's say you walk up to a car salesman and you have a look around and you're interested in a, in a, in a particular car and you go up to them and ask them, um, how much is this car? And they'll give you the sales talk and finally they tell you, all right, this car is, uh, let's say, 10,000 sterling pounds. This car is 10,000 sterling pounds. So what they're saying is, for 10,000 pounds, they are willing to let go of their ownership of the car. Really what they're saying is, if you give me 10,000, I am happy to decide that this car does not belong to me. Instead, I will take your money. And what you're saying is, if you let go of your ownership, of that car, I'm willing to give you 10,000. So in other words, I'm willing to let go of this ownership of a 10,000 sterling pounds if you would just be willing to let me have that car. Now you see, could trade ever happen if what is more attractive, what is more appealing were in the object? If what is appealing, what is attractive, what is beautiful if it were in the object, do you think we could trade things with each other? Is it not because that is it not because 
value and attractiveness and appeal is something that is in the mind, something that we perceive, our own opinions determine that. Isn't that the very reason that we can actually trade things with each other? Or buy and sell things for money. Because of course you'll take the money and you may go and buy something else that you think is attractive. Or the salesman. They may go on a holiday. But you see, fortunately, the car salesman did not think that the car was the most attractive thing to him because otherwise he would not be willing to let you have it. But you are willing to let go of your cash to buy the car. Whereas he is willing to let go of the car to get your cash. So which one is more valuable? Is it the money or is it the car? If they were of equal value, then why would you even need to trade? He'll keep his car, you keep your money. So you see, he values the money more than the car and you value the car more than the money. That is why you're willing to part with your money and he's willing to part with his car. And therefore, trade can happen. So the fact that trade happens in this world, and I'm not just talking about trade for the purpose of sustaining oneself. Of course, you need food and then it doesn't matter whether one is more attractive than the other. When you're hungry, you're hungry. You need something to eat. Right? So I'm not talking about shelter or food or clothing or medicines. These are the four requisites that everybody needs to stay alive and to sustain life. So other than the four requisites, everything else is not something that the body needs, but rather it's something that the mind yearns for, isn't it? So that painting... It's not something that the body needs. It's not something you need to stay alive. It's something that the mind needs. So you're able to now trade things with each other because two people have differing opinions on what they believe is valuable. Does that, is, is that not evidence, yet again, that value, in other words, pleasure, is not something that is to be found in the object. That's what I'm saying. I'm not suggesting that we change the whole system because then we won't be able to live. We won't be able to buy things and our food and, and pay our bills and so on. You won't be able to live the lifestyle that you do if everyone realized this. That would be difficult for the world to exist and continue to exist in the way it does today. So the way that the world behaves and the way that people behave in the world today is all very supportive and conducive to its prolonged existence. So that's fair enough. But are we living a life based on the truth or are we living a life based on a lie? or someone else's version of the truth, which is not the absolute truth. I know, this might sound like I'm really challenging some of the 
most fundamental, some of the most basic constructs of society and how this world exists and how business and commerce and, and you know, the, the whole social fabric hangs together. But my purpose is really to help you open your eyes to a truth that you may not have realized up until now. Do you need to make any changes once you realize this? No. That is not something that I demand of you. I simply invite you to realize this. And then what you do with your life is totally up to you, as it has been up until now. But I want to make you aware of the choices. I want to make you aware of the truth, so you can decide for yourself. That is what the Buddha did. He made the truth known to all, so that each man for himself could decide what they wanted to do with their life. Rather than living a life in the dark, and making decisions based on manipulations by others, and then repenting and regretting towards the end of one's life. Now that I wouldn't want for myself, and I wouldn't want that for you either. So how can trade happen if pleasure were in the object? You wouldn't have commerce. The trade industry would completely fall apart if people realize this. And actually, we wouldn't have one if people realize this from the beginning. Again, I reiterate the point. This is not talking about the requisites, the things that we need to survive. Because one person needs food, the other person needs shelter. That's fair enough. If someone's got food and the other's got shelter and they've got an abundance of each other, then of course, you know, it makes perfect sense for them to exchange them with each other. That makes perfect sense. But what I'm talking about are things that the mind yearns for, not our physical bodies. Take music again. You may go to a concert and sometimes you may pay a lot of money to go to a concert. Perhaps you may pay several hundred dollars for a ticket. But if the reason you go there is because you believe that when you pay this money, you're going to get beauty through your ears. Now that I want you to take a moment to think about again. Because did beauty ever come through your ears? Because is beauty available? Is it characteristic of the sound? Or the sight? Or rather, is it your opinion of something? And simply something that has been influenced by maybe, just maybe, the very people that want you to part with your cash. And that is again what advertising is all about. So this is the way it works when you look at it from a if when you take a when you take a step back and look at it this is the way it works you see there's someone who needs money because they want to go and get something for themselves I'm taking a very crude view here about how society works so and it's simply for the purpose 
that you can observe and, and help you analyze and maybe make decisions about your own life. If, if you're okay with this, then that's perfectly fine. But if you feel that maybe you need to think again about how you live the re remainder of your life, then maybe this is an opportunity for you to ponder and to reconsider some of the choices that you have made and maybe some of the choices that, you're, that you will be making in future. So I think this is the way it works. Someone needs money because they want to, they themselves don't understand that beauty is not in the object. They themselves don't understand that beauty is subjective rather than objective. So to get something of beauty from someone who also is of the same opinion, they need something to something from them that they can exchange. So let's take a film director, for instance. A film director wants your money because, well, he needs to live. He needs to go and do the things that he likes to do, like maybe buy a yacht or buy a car or maybe go on a holiday or maybe buy a painting. Who knows what film directors like to do with their money. So now they need money. So to get money that is currently in your pocket, he can't just come and ask you for money. You're not going to give that. So what does he do? Now he has a plan. When a man wants something, he's got a plan. What's his plan now? Here's what he'll do. He'll produce a film. So he'll have his team work on that. He'll produce a film. And then what he'll do is he'll tell you all sorts of things about it. That it's the best movie ever released in this, this year or in the last century. Maybe not the last century, but maybe in the last few years. And that it's, a, it's an award-winning title. And that it has attracted good comments and reviews by top folk. So there you get the brand ambassadors, like we discussed last week. So what they're doing is, with every advertisement, with every trailer, they're making you want to see it. So really, you are being manipulated right now. They're telling you all the good things about it. Now, have you never been in this situation where you watched a trailer and you thought, wow, that's, that's a fantastic movie, I really want to go and see it. And then you actually go to the cinema and that was the only scene in that film that was actually of any value. The remainder was just a very distasteful experience. But the trailer, of course, they picked the best parts of, out of the movie and that's how they produced the trailer. I mean, that is perfectly understandable. That's how every film director would, would do it. But what they do is they will make you want to watch the film. Now, this is their way of getting your money. They'll make you want to watch the film. And now, when you want to watch the film, because you want to watch the film, because you believe that now it's, it's going to bring you beauty, it's going to bring you pleasure, you're going to find it a pleasurable experience. Now you're sat there wondering, how can I watch that film because... Well, I need to do something to go and watch the film. And then you go and ask the director, Mr. Director, would you please allow me to watch that film? Oh, well, of course. That'll be $10, $15, $20, please. Now you'll dig deep and you'll pull out the cash and you'll place it in his hand and you'll watch the film.
He made you want to watch the film. You didn't until you heard him say that. Say the things that he said. He made you want to watch it. And then you wanted to watch it. Once you wanted to watch it, you just had to watch it. So what happened next? You came to an agreement. What of mine can I give you so that you let me watch your film? You can give me your cash and I'll let you watch the film. So now he gets your cash and you get his film. Is the film beautiful? Is the film a source of pleasure? Ah, well, objectively, absolutely not. Subjectively, in other words, do you now believe that it's beautiful? Well, yes, because your opinions have been influenced. Your thoughts about it have been influenced. You have been made to, to think that it's beautiful. So when you have been made to think it's beautiful, what's going to happen now is you're going to now go and watch it. And guess what? You're going to find it beautiful. Why? Because that's what you've been made to think. There's more that happens behind the scenes. There's more to this than what I have just explained to you. But, and I will un, un, unravel this in more detail as we go forward. How through his words, you start to feel that you want to watch this and it becomes quite frustrating that you cannot watch it. That a deep void is created in your mind that you must, you just must fill. And until you fill that void, you're not satisfied. But you see, that void was not there in the first place, but it was created by the director himself. I'm not saying all directors are bad. I'm not saying any director is bad. And it's evil of them to have done that. No, that is not at all what I'm suggesting. The truth be told that they don't know that that's what they're doing themselves because they don't know that's what's happening to them by others even. So you see, everyone's ignorant to this truth and that is why the world can carry on and functioning just the way it does. Once again, am I suggesting that this, all this needs to change? And then we, have, we should have a revolution and completely change the world, the way the world operates? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That will be the last thing on my mind. The only thing that I want is to help you realize what's really going on. And then you make your own personal choices. You don't need to make choices on behalf of others. Make choices for yourself. As I have made a choice for myself. You see, those words by the director, if you take them to be true, that is, when you don't realize the truth and you take his words as true, what happens is those words can have, a, have an adverse effect on your mind because you accept those words and that is the science of manipulation. You allow for those words to manipulate you. You allow for those words to influence you.
and what you didn't even know about, what you didn't think was beautiful, all of a sudden becomes beautiful. And sometimes, if not for the adverts, maybe watching it, you wouldn't find it beautiful at all. But having listened to those adverts time and time and time again, having gone through that process several times, now you become indoctrinated. Your mind begins to accept this new idea because even a lie, if told enough times, will be accepted as the truth. That is the way the mind works. And the sad thing is, you can't stop it unless you realize the truth. It is your realization of the truth that can stop you from falling into this trap. It is not a trap that is laid by others out of spite or because they're evil or they're terrible. No, no, it's, it's nothing like that. You know, it's not that everyone in this world is just terrible and everyone's out to get your money and destroy your happiness. Oh, no, no, not, not so. You know, really, the truth be told, that this director, he's just doing his best with what resources he has, with his skills, his talents, to make you happy as he knows it's just a shame that you believe that happiness is something that you can achieve from watching the movie. Because you believe that happiness comes from the sight. By watching the movie, by listening to the music, by going to the theatre or to the cinema. Whereas really, none of those things have happiness or beauty within them. Beauty is simply a concoction of the mind. It is how the mind interprets some of the sights that it sees, how the mind interprets pleasure, but through ignorance, because the mind does not understand this, the mind believes that this came from the outside world, that its source is on the outside, whereas the truth is, its source is the mind itself. Now you see, when you know this, when you understand this, you no longer become reliant on the outside world to keep you happy. That's where we are going with this. You ask me the question, so what? Well, that's where we are going with this. You no longer need to depend on the outside world to keep you happy. Because you're just happy. I myself was a movie addict in my lay life. And something I used to really enjoy doing in the weekends was put my feet up, get a takeaway or have, you know, cook something at home and my wife and I would sit down and we'd watch a, watch a movie. Just something we'd really, really, really like to do a lot. Now, I didn't mind this and I really enjoyed it until I got to, I got this insight from having listened to these talks and, and similar words by my teachers. And then, the, the very movies that I used to watch, I began to analyze them in a different way. Let me tell you about one of them. So I'm not going to name any of them, but I, I just want to share with you the experience. Right? Let's say some movies will have this as a storyline. This will be the plot. Okay? So you start off, it's just an average, you know, everything's just, life's just going on, life just goes on. And... Normally what happens is in the story, this is how it is, it is scripted, 
you are made to like a particular person or a group of people. Right? So they become the friends. And then among them you'll find someone who's, who you find attractive. And that's because they have been presented in that way. So they are the, they're the star, they're the heroes of the movie. So they look good, they do all sorts of good things. I mean, the same person in, in, the, in the next movie will be the villain, right? But in this story, this is the good guy. So he's always very helpful to others, he's a good dad, right? He's a good husband, he's a good wife, a good teacher, a good student and so on. He's a good citizen. Because the things that you hold as good in your mind, these are the good things in the world. Those are the things that they'll be acting out on stage. So you see, as the story develops, this, this character or characters who you find are good and who you find you are attracted to, who you believe are the heroes, your friends, as the story develops, someone comes into the story and they start to affect the lives of those people that you have begun to like. in ways that you don't like. So, for instance, someone might come along and they'll, have, they'll want something that belongs to the good guys. So, they become the bad guy. So, the good guy, say, for instance, has a pretty girlfriend. And now the bad guy wants to steal that girlfriend. Or say the good guys have a lot of money. And the bad guys want to take that money. Or the good guy has power. And the bad guy wants to snatch that power. So whatever the good guy has and you want them to have it, you want them to keep it because they're your friends. They're the good guys. The bad guys or the villains in this movie, they want to take it away from them. Why are they the bad guys? Well, it's because you, they have come into this picture, into this, into this scene to adversely affect the people that you find good and the people that you want to be happy you like them, so you want them to be happy. So much so that actually their happiness becomes your happiness. Doesn't it? That's why when they smile, you smile. That's why when they have a, a, a happy moment, you have a happy moment. That's why you get tears of joy. When you see them reunited. When the, when the good pair, the couple, they get into an embrace and you feel, oh. You enjoy that. So when someone comes into this scene and they begin to affect the happiness of, this, of, this, of, of the, good, the good people, the good guys, now you don't like them anymore. In fact, you don't like them at all. So now, what's happening is you want for the good guys to, be, to remain happy. That's something you want now. So, of course, you can't do anything because it's in a film. You can't, you can't influence the story. But all you can do is observe it. But deep, deep down inside, you want the story to take, to, to, to unfold itself and, and for you to realize that the good guys remain happy at the end of it. So something has now entered this, this scene which affects your happiness. The truth is, though, you know, when the director goes, cut, 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 you know, let's call it a day, or let's take a quick tea break, 
the good guys and the villains in the story, actually they're best of friends. They're best of friends. So even on scene, as you're watching it, you know, and, and you see a fight, right, they're tearing at each other's guts and, you know, they're just whacking each other with sticks and throwing bombs and stuff at each other and so on. And that gets you really agitated. That gets you really annoyed and really frustrated and, you know, it really tenses you up. Some people start gritting their teeth. It really annoys sometimes some people. And, you know, they really get into the emotion of the film. But when the director goes, cut, 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 the good guys and the bad guys, you know, they're the best of friends. They don't have anything against each other. Sometimes they may be even brothers living under the same roof. So they don't experience this unhappiness, this unsatisfactoriness, this suffering that you're going through as you observe it. Would you agree with me or not? They're not going through that. You know, after the, after, after the shooting has ended, you know, they go out to, the, to a pub and have a drink together. They're best, they're best mates. But you, on the other hand, as you observe, observe this, you're going through an, a myriad of negative emotions which are completely burning you from the inside. It tenses you, frustrates you, annoys you, gets you angry. I know, this is all part of the experience, you'll say. But do you like being angry? If you're telling me you like to be happy, if you say that the purpose of life is happiness, is this happiness? When you feel those moments of danger and threat and fear, is that happiness? Do you like for someone to always keep scaring you around? You know, there's, there's a real science behind horror movies, for instance, folks. Action, thrillers, and so on. Through these talks, I'll explain these things to you, one by one. And you'll begin to understand the world that you live in, hopefully much better than you do today. Once again, this is not to change anything. So directors who produce action movies should continue to do that. Directors who produce horror movies should continue to do that. They shouldn't stop. There's nothing wrong with that. All I want is for you to realize what's going on in your mind. You don't like to be angry, do you? You don't like to be scared and afraid, do you? You don't like it when you're sitting on the edge of your seat, do you? You like to be happy, don't you? Well, this is how happiness works. This, this kind of happiness. So, let me get back to the plot. So... You know, then you have a fight between the good guys and the bad guys. And when the, when the good guy gets hit, how does that make you feel? Not very happy. And when the good guy hits the bad guy, how does that make you feel? Oh, very, very happy. Sometimes you throw in a punch of your own, don't you? A few kicks, a few punches, and without you, you know, sometimes you knock things off, off the table. Because you want the good guys to be happy and you want the bad guys to learn a lesson. That is what you want to see unfold in this story as it goes forward. So then what happens? Then this movie goes into a climax. So that's, this is the, this is the, the fight scene. Like, like the fight scene. You know, the, it comes to the finale. Where it's all tense and 
You know, it's, it's just looking like the good guys losing this battle. It's how most movies works, isn't it? Take a step back and study how this works and it what and what it's doing to your mind. So it comes to the climax where normally what happens is the good guy just gets on, keeps on getting beaten up. Until eventually, at one point, right, the good guy he just summons up all the courage that he can find. And, and the, all the good guys, they come together and then they reinforce themselves and you know, one blow and the bad guys drop dead. Now how do you feel? You feel good. You feel very good. You feel pleasure. You feel delighted. You go, yay, that's it. That should teach him a lesson. And so then the movie comes to an end. Lights come back on. You stand up and you walk out of the cinema, complimenting the director and sharing with each other your opinion on that movie and saying, wow, that's, that's a wonderful movie. I really enjoyed that. What a, what a wonderful, what a delightful movie. Sometimes you might even go and write a review on whatever, IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. So you become a critic and you share your opinions on that. And you say, it's a fantastic movie. I really enjoyed it. But you see, take a step back and see what happened. First, you didn't want to watch it. But what did the director do? Advertisement, trailers and so on. And now you want to watch it. When you want to watch it, then that creates a void inside your mind that has to be filled Right? Do you not go through this experience? Think about it. Go back to you, those experiences. This is the, when you have to really go into the lab of life. So you see the next time you watch a trailer and it says, coming soon. Right? How does that make you feel as you finish watching that trailer? Do you not want to go and see it after that? I, and that feeling of wanting to do something, that feeling, that feeling of I want to do it but I can't do it right now, how does that make you feel? Does that make you feel delighted or does that make you feel like something's not quite right and it has to be put right this is what we call a vexation so i'm introducing that term to you today this is what we call vexation this void that you feel in your mind so a vexation has been created in the mind a void that needs to be filled it's like a vacuum and then what happens? Now you want to do something. You have to take action for that void to be filled, to be relieved of that vexation. So you go and pay your money and they let you watch the movie. And in the movie, what happens? It all starts off by showing to you a scene in which you start to make friends with the good guys, right? And now you, have, you want the good guys to be good. So again, you have a, an, another want. So now you're watching the movie. So that's all, you know, that vexation has been relieved, the original vexation of wanting to see the movie. But now in the movie, as you're watching it, the good guys have been presented to you and you, are now, you have now made friends with them and now you want the good guys to be happy. Right? So that is your want. You want the good guys to be happy. This is the director's way of getting money out of you. Is that because the director is bad and evil? No, no, no. 
Absolutely not. That's his way of entertaining you. My only problem is, you don't mind being entertained this way. I'm presenting this to you so you can consider your options for entertainment. Is it okay that you're entertained in this way? Where you, are, you start off being really happy or you start off by being presented, by, in, by being indoctrinated to, 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 to want something, to want the good guys to be happy. You start off by being indoctrinated, being manipulated to be like that. And then what happens is as the story unfolds, the very thing that you want is taken away from you. It's stolen from you. What is that thing? You want the good guys to be happy. And that is taken away from you. It's snatched away from you. How? That's the job of the villain. All done by the director. As I said, when the director goes cut, 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 those two guys, they're best of friends. They've never had a fight in their life. Not even exchanged harsh words between each other. But you as the observer in the movie, they're the worst enemies. And your friend's enemy is your enemy, right? Just like your friend's friend is your friend, your friend's enemy is your enemy. What about your enemy's friend? Again, your enemy. And your enemy's enemy is your friend. That's the way it works, isn't it? So now this is your friend's enemy. Behind the scenes, they're best of friends, but you don't know that. And as far as you're concerned, it doesn't matter. It doesn't bother you at this moment in time because you've come to get the most out of what you've paid. You want fun. You want pleasure. That's what you've come to the, the, the cinema for. You want pleasure out of this experience. So you are presented with this fight scene. And then several fights, several arguments, running around and hitting each other and kicking each other and blood splattered all over the place and cuts and slices and all sorts of wickedness and evilness, right? It tenses you up and really frustrates you and annoys you and really makes you bitter. And now you want to throw a few punches of your own because you just you simply hate the bad guys, right? All of these are negative, bad emotions in, cooking up inside of you, brewing up inside of you, actually tormenting you on the inside. This happens mentally, folks. Observe yourself the next time you watch a movie. Take a step back and be aware of what goes on on the inside. Isn't this what happens? So now what happens is a vexation has been created in your mind. You wanted something, that has been taken away from you. Now you want it back. You see, now you want it back. So what does this clever director do is soon after the climax, soon after the climax, the director gives back to you what you want. And so what happens then is, this vexation that was in your mind is relieved. What you wanted has been given back to you, and therefore you feel, you feel what? You feel happy. You feel pleasure. You feel delight. You tell, that's a beautiful movie. So you see, this pleasure, what was the process to achieving this pleasure? You start off neutral. First you are indoctrinated, you are manipulated to think that something's good. 
and now you want it to be like that, then it gets taken away from you and now you start to develop a deep vexation, a, real, a huge void inside your mind. Now you're frustrated, you're annoyed, you're disappointed and now it's returned to you. That's the third step. And now you feel, oh, thank you so much for giving me back what I wanted. That was never there in the first place. It was created by the same people that took it away from you and then given back to you without any insight whatsoever as to this is what happened. You, you say, I really enjoyed watching that movie and thank you so much, director. You're the most wonderful director in the whole wide world. I love you to bits. You parted with your cash to allow the director to do this to you. What do you think about that now? What do you think about that now? Once again, I reiterate this point. Are we suggesting that we should not make movies like this anymore? And this is cruelty. This is like being, this is betrayal. How dare they? Oh, no, 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 no. We are not in the business of changing the world. We're in the business of reconsidering the way we think the reconsidering our decisions, the way we interpret the world. This is a personal salvation I'm talking about. This is a personal journey. I've said that to you from the start. This was my personal journey. I'm only sharing this with you in the hope that you might find it helpful. I don't like it. I personally don't like it that someone can put me into a state of vexation, put me into a state of disappointment, and then give me back something that they took from me and make me feel grateful to them that they did that for me. So much so that I'm now willing to part with my money, my hard-earned cash. I just feel like that's just below the belt. I just don't feel, I just don't like to be manipulated. I prefer to be in control of what goes on in my mind and the emotions that I experience. This is just one example that I want you to now take some time to think about. In future talks, I'll be presenting to you and analyzing to you, put on the dissection table, several other examples for you to analyze in this manner. This is just one that I want you to think about. Start to think about this. And once you start thinking about this, several other examples of your own will come to light. All for the purpose of personal realization and asking yourself, if this is what I have come to know as happiness all my life, is this the kind of happiness I want to have for the rest of my life? Or, if there is an alternative, that is where no one in this world can take away my happiness and then give it back to me and make me feel like I'm ever so grateful to them for having given that back to me. What if there was a happiness that I could keep for myself and no one could touch it? The world could turn upside down and my happiness would not be taken away from me. What if that were possible? We'll get to that in future. That will be the, that'll be the end. Towards the end of these talks, I will be talking to you about that. But for the time being, 
I will leave you with what I have shared with you today. So please take some time. Maybe go back and watch this, this talk again. And ask yourself, is this true for me? The Bhante says this is true, but is this true for me? Does that make sense to me? Is this logical? Is that what's happened to me? Maybe go and watch a movie and see what's going on. Rather than getting engrossed in the movie itself, maybe from time to time at least, take a step back and observe what's going on in your mind and ask yourself, do you want to put yourself through that? A happiness that can be taken away from you and then given back to you and then make you feel you're ever so grateful for the people who gave it back to you, what was already yours in the first place. So I'm going to leave you with that. Have a think about that and we'll meet again next week. Before we conclude then, let us take a moment to transfer the merits that we have all acquired to all those who are deserving of it. Because if not for them, today you and I would not be able to do, share the truth of this world as we do today. So let us take a moment to pay, to pay our gratitude to all of them. Let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching and with immense gratitude let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasikas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves to the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. And let us also transfer these merits to our teachers and all other monks resident at this monastery, as well as all the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these talks, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them, and may through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane, and may through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of their own merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those of you who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May through the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers and fathers, our husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, our sons, daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews, nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us, assisted us in any way, shape or form. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to the Devas and Brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities, who are committed to protect and fulfill the Samadha Shasana. Let us also transfer merits to our guardian deities, who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. 
May to the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our ancestors who have predeceased us, to all who have been our families and friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara, and who have helped and supported us and assisted us in every way they could. Let us also transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nations. And may all those who have lost their lives in the wars be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us also transmit this to all those who have lost their lives in natural calamities, such as the tsunamis and earthquakes and landslides and pandemics, including the most recent and prevailing one, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been our friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them, and may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Finally, let us all resolve that may to the power of the blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may to the power of all the merits we have acquired today, you and I and everyone who has helped make this program a success, become an arahatun vahanse or an arahat mehinin vahanse in this very life and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sad, sad, sad. And on that note, we will conclude today's talk. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. <laughs>